Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hi, I'm Anna Christina. I am born to a Coptic Christian family. I'm born in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, We migrated to Canada when I was six years old. And then we went back to visit Egypt for a few years. My father wanted us to learn the culture, so he moved us back. While I was there, I was like, it was between the age of 11 and 14 that I lived there. At 14, my father hired a tutor for me because I was having uh, challenges with the Arabic language. And I fell in love with him, Sam, who we ended up dating for a while and up till the age of about 20 we wanted to get married my father said it was going to be over his dead body even though he really liked him but because sam was muslim and were coptic christians that's just a no-no in egypt went back to canada then i met paul in california And we got married and it didn't take long to realize that I married a narcissist. I often say, if you look up the word narcissist in Wikipedia, it will have Paul's name next to it. Very self-centered person who breaks your spirit and your soul. Basically, they're insecure and they kind of break you because they can come up to your level. So they have to break you to their level. I had two children from Paul, Colleen and Andrew. That was my blessings. But after 13 years, I was able to get out of that marriage with a restraining order after he threatened to kill me a few times. Then I get this call from Sam, who I hadn't spoken to for about 25 years. He found me and Sam, to my surprise, was the person that I always was looking for the listener, the compassionate, like just, it was a perfect match. At that point, we decided to get married. After suffering for 13 years with the narcissist, I was very vulnerable and we got married. It didn't take long for, of course, custody battles. So much happened, but I was the breadwinner. I was a CFO. And because of his language, he didn't know the English language very well. He was taking care of the house, cleaning, cooking, the whole thing. 
Then there were several flags that started to happen. Finally, in December 2008, I was able to talk to Sam and we agreed on an amicable divorce. And he asked, he wanted to stay in the house for three weeks because he had nowhere to go. So I didn't want to kick him out. And I, I agreed to that. About the following week, I started having pain and aches all over my body. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't move my head. I couldn't blink my eyes. The headache was just so bad. Finally, he took me to urgent care. They said, oh, you're coming down with a cold. Take some medicine. They gave me some painkillers, sent me home. And then Sam started giving me his blood pressure medicine, which brought down the pain from my head. I didn't have blood pressure, but he gave it to me. He knew what to give me and it helped me. And I was able to go to work. And with all the aches, but at least I was able to function to go to work. It was year end. And on January 8th, as I'm driving to the office, I get this vision and I, I don't get visions. I've never gotten a vision. And I'm driving and I get a vision of like a funeral and somebody dying in my immediate family. I saw my sisters and brother, but not the younger brother, Steve. And I felt this was a warning from God that something was going to happen to my younger brother who was born mentally handicapped. So right away, I went to the office and I arranged to leave to go to Egypt the following day. I brought in all my staff to delegate responsibilities. And as I'm talking to everybody in a meeting, my head now, I'm feeling it's going to explode. And I'm sitting at my desk and I'm holding my head like that so that it doesn't explode. And I get this message. I don't know how I got it, but it said, stop thinking, go home. And I did just that. I just stopped the meeting. I told the staff, it was Friday. So I was going to originally leave Saturday. I told them, you know what? I'll probably leave Sunday. I booked for Sunday. And then I'll call you guys tomorrow and we'll finalize this. But I need to go home. And I drive home. And as I'm walking up to our condominium, the Holy Spirit reveals himself by talking to me. It's a voice that I hear. And I say the Holy Spirit because right away I recognized it was the Holy Spirit. I have no idea how I recognized it was him. Like a voice started to talk to me in my head. Wasn't like at the office where it said, stop thinking, go home. That was not a voice. But this was a voice as clear as I'm talking to you right now. And immediately I recognized it was the Holy Spirit. And again, I never related to the Holy Spirit. I related to Jesus, to God the Father, but I never got the Holy Spirit. I just felt it was like something hovering over us, but I ignored him. I didn't understand him. But yet there, I recognized who he was. And right away, he went like this, that I wasn't to share or talk or say anything that's happening now that I'm hearing. And I continued going upstairs, knocked on the door. Sam opens the door right away. He asked, are you leaving tomorrow or the day after? And I look at him and I say, 
I don't know. I can't think right now. I need to rest. I'll let you know tomorrow. Colleen, who was living with us at the time at 14, comes out, greets me, and goes back to her room. So Sam tells me he's going to prepare my dinner just for me to go change, which I usually do. And he said, I'll warm up dinner. I go in, I change to something comfortable. And I walk back to the kitchen. And I'm at the counter where he left the plate for me. He made me my favorite Egyptian dish. It was green French cut beans with rice and meat. And I'm standing there and behind me is the refrigerator, but I'm looking at it and I have no appetite. I haven't had any appetite to eat lately. So I returned the green beans, which were like in a tomato sauce. And I'm left with this plate of rice and I'm looking at it and I'm wondering, how am I going to even eat that? It looks so dry to me. And I was contemplating whether I'm just going to leave my plate and not eat. And then the Holy Spirit, who did not stop talking to me, says, child, turn around, open the fridge, get some plain yogurt and put it on your rice. Now, the plain yogurt on the rice, that's my favorite way of eating rice. That's how we do it in Egypt. You put rice with plain yogurt. But when he said that, it was like, come again? Like, you care about the yogurt I put on my rice? And he said, child, I'm in every little detail of your life. And when he said that, I was so ashamed of myself. At that time, I was 48 years old. And here I'm discovering this. I don't understand why he's talking to me now. I can't say anything. And he's telling me he was, he's been in every little detail of my life. And I missed out on him. And I do as he does. He asked me to do, I put the yogurt, I take my plate, I go sit down on the couch and I'm eating my rice and yogurt. And he's communicating with me. And I remember he even cracked a joke. He had just a beautiful sense of humor. And I remember laughing. And Sam was sitting on the other couch and he looked at me. He said, did you stop and have a drink? Because he saw that that was so weird for me to be sitting quietly and laughing. And I looked at him and I didn't even want to acknowledge him. And I wish I remembered that joke, but I don't. I finished eating my rice. I got up, put my plate in the sink and said goodnight. And it was time for me to retire. Like I told Colleen goodnight. And I'm puzzled. Why is the Holy Spirit talking to me? What is happening? I brush my teeth. I go back into bed. And as I'm lying there puzzled, he says, child, it's not your brother, it's you. As soon as he said that, my heart was so heavy. I was not ready to hear that it was me. I was not ready to not wake up in the morning. We often go to bed thinking we're just going to wake up. I doubt if anybody goes to bed thinking, well, Maybe I won't wake up. 
And my heart was so heavy thinking about Colleen waking up in the morning and finding her mother dead in bed. It just broke my heart. But he reminded me of a dream I had a few years ago where it was a dream of Jesus. He was walking, holding Colleen and Andrew in his arms and walking down this green meadow and they were laughing and I was walking with them. I just don't know how I did it. We were all holding his waist and he had his arm around my children. And that night, when I woke up from that dream a few years ago, I didn't get how we were all walking, holding him and not tripping on each other's feet. But that night I got it. I was going to be with them in spirit, but he has my children. And when I remembered that dream, I got the comfort of him taking care of them. So I was able to release them to him and be ready to die. I was okay with dying. And right away he said, child, you're going to go on a journey and you'll be back to be my ambassador. And when he said that, I was like, I was able to breathe lighter because I was only going on a journey. I'm not going to die. I'm, I'm coming back. So I was like, I got excited. And I said, okay, what do you want me to do? And he said, I need you to relax. I need you to stop thinking. And I thought, that was easy. I can stop thinking. But that was the hardest thing I was trying to do. I couldn't stop thinking. I'm a very analytical person. And, you know, thoughts were just coming back and forth. And I kept thinking, did I stop thinking? And I'm trying. But he was patient. And he kept, he was helping me to stop thinking. And it finally got to the point where I was relaxed. And I was able to calm my mind and hold it still. And he said, I need you to shut your eyes. But no matter what happens, child, you are not to open your eyes. I said, okay. He said, no, child, no matter what happens, do not open your eyes. And I complied and I said, okay. And I shut my eyes. And as soon as I shut my eyes, a bright light came into the room. Now, this is a light that I've never experienced in my life. It was a light with a presence. It was this brightness that I could feel through my eyes. I wouldn't dare open my eyes, but it was a presence. And the presence I felt was the presence of God the Father. It was like a mighty presence. It, it's hard to explain that presence. And I... Of course, I wouldn't dare open my eyes. And then the window to my right started shaking as if an earthquake was happening in my room. And then my heart started palpitating. And as it palpitated, it was okay. But then it started beating really hard, like it got harder and harder. And as it, it did that, I got scared. And I just got scared to the point everything shut down. The light stopped, went away, the window stopped rattling, and my heart stopped beating. 
And I'm lying there and I'm going, shoot, I screwed up my death. And he responded and said, no, child, this one you can't screw up. So it was like, okay. He goes, I just need you to relax more. You need to relax, child. And I said, okay. He goes, I need you to shut your eyes. And remember, you're not to open your eyes no matter what. And I said, okay. He said, but you have to stop thinking. And he went through just like helping me meditate until my brain stopped thinking. And then he goes, okay, shut your eyes. And I shut my eyes. And the light came back in the room. And again, I felt that presence of the Lord, like the mighty presence. And the window started shaking. And then my heart started beating. And it started beating like it did before. But then it started beating harder and harder. And I felt that it's going to blow up. Like I felt like this is how you die from a heart attack. But I wasn't afraid. I knew the process, so I didn't want to stop the process. And I just hung in there as it was just beating so hard. And then it stopped beating. And the light slowly went away and the window stopped rattling or shaking. And the Holy Spirit said, the next step child is an annoyance. I just want you to remember that it's an annoyance, annoyance child. And I said, okay. And as he was saying that, I felt a whoosh of pain that came throughout my body, but it was more in my legs. Like I felt my legs as if somebody took a sledgehammer and was breaking my bones. And as that pain was there, He's comforting me and he's saying, child, it's an annoyance. It will pass. Child, it's an annoyance. And as he's saying, it's an annoyance and it will pass, his comforting words, like I refer to him in the Bible, they refer to him as the comforter. He was comforting me throughout that process. And I was able to think about him and what he's saying, the annoyance, it will pass. And it wasn't hurting as much. I was able to endure the pain, even though I have fibromyalgia and I have very low endurance of pain. I didn't scream. They didn't hear me outside. And he kept just saying, it's an annoyance, John. It will pass. And it passed. And it stopped. The pain stopped. And I was relieved. As soon as the pain stopped and I couldn't feel the pain, my legs, but then I realized I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't feel from my head to my toes was numb. And I asked him, I said, am I paralyzed? And he said, child, yes, you are. And as soon as he said that, I said, Oh, no, no. He goes, I'm sorry, child. I said, can I move my toes? He goes, no, child. I said, well, can I try? He goes, try, child. And of course, I tried to move my toes, and I can't. And as I'm realizing 
this new reality of being paralyzed, I feel Sam, or I hear him walking into the room. And I'm going, okay, he's going to realize that I'm paralyzed. He's going to call 911. But he doesn't. He goes into bed, gives me his back, and sleeps. We had, even though we had filed the divorce, it was a two-bedroom condo. So he was sleeping on one side. I'm sleeping on the other since Colleen was occupying the second bedroom. And that whole night, I was lying there paralyzed. But I had the most beautiful night of my life with the comforter. He did not leave me one second. He spent the whole night teaching me things as if he was downloading. He was downloading scriptures or stories in the Bible. And he was teaching me in a beautiful way. He wasn't going too fast or too slow. He was the perfect teacher. And he showed me visions, just beautiful visions. Like I said, it was the most beautiful night in my life, uh, spending it with him. I did not sleep one bit. And it did not matter that I was paralyzed. At this point, having him was, it didn't matter. My body, it didn't matter. His presence was so amazing. But in the middle of the night, I remember I needed to go to the restroom and I tried to get up. I forgot that I was paralyzed. And I said, I need to go. And he goes, go child. And I remember wetting my bed to the point I thought maybe with all that water is going to wake up Sam. But no, of course, nothing would wake him up. And then by daybreak, he got up. I felt him getting up. He went to the restroom, came back, didn't acknowledge me. But around 8 o'clock, I felt he was getting up now. He turned around and he was shaking my back and was saying, Anna, Anna, are you up? And I didn't respond. So I said, okay, he's going to realize I'm paralyzed or something is wrong. He's going to call 911. But he gets up. He comes to my side of the bed and he starts taking my jewelry off. And I'm going, why is he taking my jewelry off? You know, rather than calling 911, but I'm thinking, okay, maybe he doesn't want it to get lost in the emergency room. And then he takes some medicine and he's putting it in my mouth, but because I'm paralyzed, my teeth are clenched. So he's grinding medicine in my pills in my teeth and I could taste the bitterness and I recognize it with Xanax and I'm going why is he giving me Xanax so early in the morning but he kept doing that to get it through my mouth and then he took a mint and put it in my mouth of course just leaving it between my teeth and my cheek and I'm going I must really think that he's putting mint in my mouth before he's calling 911. But he gets on the bed and he starts feeling me with my wet clothes and he goes, you wet yourself. We need to get you out of these clothes. And I'm going, okay, he's gonna clean me up or give me a change of clothes before calling 911. But he takes off my clothes and now I'm naked 
and he gets on top of me and he rapes me. And I'm beyond puzzled at this point. Why is this man raping me when I am limb, I'm like a dead body and he's raping me. And then he gets off of me and he goes to the bathroom and I hear the shower running and he's taking a shower and he left me in the middle of the bed naked. And then he comes back But when he came back, I could hear now the water running in the bathtub. He was filling a bathtub for me. And he comes and pulls me out of the bed to carry me. And as he's trying to carry me off the bed, I fall on the floor. And he goes, I can't carry you. You're too heavy. And I'm wondering, what is he doing? Why? I was really thankful that I was heavy. It was the first time I was relieved that I was on the chubby side. And he drops me and I fall naked, crumbled on my side. And he's kind of, he goes, he doesn't know what to do with me. And he can't carry me. But then I guess we both hear Colleen waking up in the next bedroom because her TV now is on. So he rushes outside the room. And I learned later from Colleen, he told her, mom is sad over her brother who may be dying in Egypt. And she took a bunch of Xanaxes and she doesn't want to be disturbed. So Colleen respects that and doesn't come and check on me on a Saturday morning. And then he comes back. And he starts pouring this cold ice water on my body. And it put my body in shock. I didn't understand what he's doing, but my body's in shock. It's a very torturing feeling with ice water. And he's slowly just pouring it on my body. And it felt like needles just all over my body. Somebody's just putting needles or nails or something. And the comforter is still there telling me, child, it will pass. It's only an annoyance. It will pass. And I'm trying to concentrate on the comforter. But then I see a vision of Jesus's hand. All I see is his hand next to me on the floor. And it's the vision of them piercing a nail right in his hand. And as I see this vision, I'm ashamed of the the discomfort at this point where I thought it was pain and discomfort. I'm ashamed of that discomfort that I'm feeling just because of this ice water. And I can endure that. I can endure that. And the comforter is telling me it will pass. It will pass. And I'm just concentrating on the comforter and it stops and I'm relieved and he gets he goes away he walks out and I'm left there wondering why is he calling 911 and then he comes back and he starts the process again of pouring ice water on me and he does it and I get my body goes in shock and it feels like needles I see the vision of the hand and I'm comforted by the comforter telling me it will pass, it will pass. And 
it stops again and he leaves the room and I'm relieved that it stopped. Then he comes back and this time he leans over and he holds my nose tight and he's holding my nose tight as I couldn't breathe because I'm paralyzed and my teeth are clenched so I can't breathe and he's holding it tight but somehow I went and a reflex just a reflex open my mouth and as I open my mouth to breathe he just let go and he ran out of the room and this is when I remembered my million dollar life insurance that I had forgotten to cancel when we filed the divorce. And it all made sense now why he's not calling 911. And I'm lying there, even though with that realization, it didn't matter. I didn't care. What was happening to my body didn't matter. The presence of the Holy Spirit was so overwhelming that everything that was happening to my body, it didn't matter. And he comes back and he does the same thing again. He holds my nose tight and again, I can't breathe. And then I, my mouth opens with the reflex and again, it startles him. He doesn't know what to do. He runs out and he leaves me crumbled naked on the floor. And then he comes back again, but then this time he holds my nose and he gently puts his hand, his fingers over my mouth like this. And at this point, I knew it was it. I, I couldn't breathe. He wasn't lifting his hand. I couldn't breathe. My chest was suffocating. My lungs were suffocating. And I knew that was it. I knew I was dying. And as I'm realizing that this is it, I see Jesus's hand now, not on the floor, but he's standing, all I could see up to his knees with his robe, and he's stretching his hand to me. And I wanted to go with him. And I was so afraid. I knew he could lift his hand. I knew he had the power to stop the process. But at this point, I wanted to go. I wanted to go with Jesus. And I didn't want him to go without me. And I just kept on going. And it wasn't a feeling of an end or a beginning. There was no end or beginning. Your soul just keeps on going. You look back and your body is there, but you are your soul. I kept on going and I saw beautiful white clouds that opened up and revealed a beautiful blue sky. I keep saying beautiful. The colors were like that blue sky was just so bright. But around the sky, there were these animals flying. Now, these are large animals flying with multicolors. Colors 
I can describe beautiful, amazing colors that are beyond what you see on earth, just amazing beauty. And they're flying all over the sky. They had wings, but large. And then I came to an open meadow with a lot of greenery and I'm standing there. And at the end of the meadow, I could see they're preparing for a wedding. And there's a bride at the end, but she had her back to me. And I couldn't figure it out. I wanted to see, is that me? Because in the Bible, it says when we die, we're the bride of Jesus. So I was trying to get to her to see her face, to see, is that me? But I couldn't. I couldn't reach her. And I found myself going into a room. And I'm walking in the room. And at the end of that room, I see a body of light at a door and that body of light I recognized was my mom, my mother who had died a few years prior and she had no features. It was just a body of light, but right away, immediately, I recognized it was my mother. We know each other. People ask, how do you know? We know each other. Our souls recognize each other. And I went in, I didn't hug her. I guess we don't hug in heaven. And she walked me in. And as I'm walking in, I see another body of light, which was a little bit taller than my mom. And I recognize it was Nadia, my sister. And seeing Nadia in heaven was just an amazing thing because Nadia had committed suicide when she was 35. And I always wondered where she went because grow up in church, church teaches you that you commit suicide, it's an act of murder, you go to hell. Well, it's not. It's not an act of murder. God, our Father, He's so compassionate. He's so, He doesn't judge us the way we judge each other. He knew she was going through a deep depression. He knew her heart. And there she was in heaven. And I remember walking with her. We left my mom and she takes me to another room. And at that point, I am just overwhelmed with joy to the point I couldn't contain it. It was just so much joy that I'm complaining to Nadia and I'm saying, I can't take it. It's so it's just too much. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with this. I can't contain it. I'm complaining about overwhelming joy. When on earth, we, we complain about stress and everything. And now I'm complaining about overwhelming joy. It's so stupid. But she looked at me and she goes, Anna, with Jesus, it keeps on getting better. And I just couldn't comprehend how much more. Like it was, it couldn't get any better of from this it was just like an ecstasy it's just and you don't get like in life you feel joy or happy and then you go down up and down you expect the downs here it was just the climax of joy and kept on getting better and I walked out with her and I saw my dad standing next to my mom and he was another body of light. And talk about more joy. 
seeing him in heaven was, I had lost my father in a car accident and it was so painful. It was a horrible accident and it was a face-to-face collision with the big rig, you call it, an 18-wheeler. And I always had nightmares and reliving his last minute of pain or what happened. His skull had a big injury of something that broke his skull and I would relive his pain and and I tortured myself. But seeing him in heaven was just beautiful. And it was a chapter I could close because I knew that his last moments were not painful. He must have felt he had the comforter with him. And it was just standing there with them. It's just hard to explain. And we were not talking. We were communicating and the joy. And then Nadia comes, starts saying, okay, you guys, we have to hurry. We have a banquet with Jesus. And I'm going, come again? What? Like, she said it's so matter of fact, like, so a banquet. It was like, we're going to see Jesus now. It was like, just was so hard to comprehend that, that life on the other side. But somehow I didn't follow. They went. And it wasn't time for me to have a banquet with Jesus because I found myself going into another room. And at the end of that room, I saw a body. But this time, it wasn't a body of light. I recognized it was a real body. I, And it was the late, at the time, the Pope, the Coptic Orthodox Pope, Pope Kirolos, who had died in the 60s. And I never met him, but he was known to be such a loving, kind, down-to-earth Pope. And he was looking at me and he's asking me, child, where have you been? Child, where have you been? And I'm looking at him and I'm going, like he was like scolding me. I, I felt so bad and I'm walking to him and I said, I've been going to Calvary Church because being married to a Muslim, of course, the Coptic Church wasn't going to receive us or So we started going to a Calvary church together. And he goes, why, child? Why? And I say, I didn't feel accepted. And I didn't feel the compassion in the Coptic church. And he said in a rhetorical question, what is your name, child? And my name in Egyptian means compassion. When I told him my name, he said, child, this is what we're looking for. Hurry up, child. There is no time. Hurry up, child. And he's kicking me out of heaven. And he's kicking me out. And I'm walking fast. And I'm going out. And right before I come back to earth, Jesus reveals his face to me. And he reveals it in a very slow manner. And it was a face of glory. But he wasn't the face I was used to, meaning it wasn't the face I saw in growing up watching in Jesus of Nazareth, where the blue eyes, pretty boy, he wasn't. He was olive skin. He had a more rugged look. He was more like the picture of the actor in The Passion 
or there's an actor that I saw a movie recently, The Gospel of John. He was more a Middle Eastern look. And I remember I'm thinking, in my mind, you're not as handsome as I thought because I'm thinking the blue-eyed pretty boy. But I'm thinking it and I'm trying not to think it because I know he can read my thoughts and I don't want to hurt his feelings, but he's beyond that. He's just smiling at me. And I understood later why he he wasn't as handsome as we thought, because back then, I think with all these vulnerable women thousands of years ago, they would have fallen in love with him rather than fallen in love with his message and what he represented. And then all of a sudden, I see the freeway underneath me. It was I was in California then in Irvine, and it was where the five freeway and the 405 meet, and we call it the Y. It's very congested all the time. And I'm looking down, and the roads, and just the world looks so dry compared to where I was. And I came back, then I was in my room. And at that point, I can see Sam, and now he had my body next to him. I was still naked, and he's holding my body next to him. I don't know how he got me up there. And he's just holding it, and I'm like, I can't handle him holding me. My body, my soul somehow goes into my body. I jump out of bed because I couldn't stand him touching me. And here I am standing at the head of the bed, looking at him, still naked. I didn't care, even though I was a very conservative. I am a very conservative woman. And the look on this man's face, just seeing me there was just priceless, just priceless. I I thought I just came back to scare the heck out of him and maybe say bye to Colleen, but it was a journey, all right. And Then so much happened afterwards. It's just so many sequence of events. You would think this did not happen in the United States. You would think this happened in a sort of war country. So many things. It's just hard to talk about everything. I ended up losing my daughter because I tried to protect her from Sam and then I ran into her room naked. So the first husband find that I'm walking around the house naked. And not only that, the police, nobody believed me. They ended up putting me in a mental hospital because he claimed I'm having a nervous breakdown uh, from work as a CFO. I'm just, you know, so emotional. Just so much happened. It was just crazy event after event after event. But it was an experience and an encounter that was the most amazing encounter of my life. I say that I would do it again. I would make the same bad choices if it led me to that encounter with the Holy Spirit, with the Comforter, to know what happens while we're dying, not just what happens afterwards. I devoted my book to all the souls who've been murdered by a loved one and their voices were never heard. So many souls, so many people. And I see in my viewers, a lot of people have been murdered that way, whether men or women, but they don't live to tell the story. 
But the most important thing also in my event was the comfort as we're dying, even under horrific circumstances. I get a lot of parents who reach out to me who lost a child to a horrific set of circumstances, and they are comforted to know that they were comforted with the Holy Spirit. And they, some people ask me, how do you know? And I say, because I'm nobody. Why would the comforter comfort me and not comfort others? I am a nobody. I'm not this holy. I've made so many mistakes. I screwed up a lot of my life choices. But he came to comfort me. He was there. It's not just about death. He was there until I took the last breath. And his presence made this all worthwhile. The betrayal didn't matter. The torture didn't matter. Nothing mattered. But his presence was there until I crossed to the other side. He wasn't there with me to the other. It was Jesus on the other side. He's there to comfort us. And I, you know, it's in the Bible. I, I don't know. I'm not a Bible scripture. I don't memorize things, but it's in there. You can check it out. Jesus said, I'm going to be with the Father. I'm sending you the comforter who's going to be with you. He doesn't leave us. He, he's not going to leave us as orphanage. He did not leave me. But the fact to know that he was with me, he has been with me throughout my life. And to come back and to know that truth is beyond an amazing knowledge. Most of us are discovering that on our deathbed. And I just tell you, don't wait to discover it on your deathbed when he's going to tell you you can't share, you can't talk, you can't. And you're going to feel like me where I missed out on it for 48 years. He's there. He hasn't left me. He doesn't talk to me the way he talked to me when I was dying. But his presence is there. The signs he gives, he's like, he's become my soulmate. He's become my partner. And he can be the same to you. Just don't wait till your deathbed to acknowledge his presence. We have a partner. Imagine that. You have a partner that no one else can see, but you can feel. Um, and he's the counselor of the most high God. He's the comforter. We always go to others to comfort us. I discovered he is my true soulmate. So if anything, that's my message to most people is to not wait to discover him. And that's, that's it.